This is the Garden Path Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little. I'm coming to you from my lovely backyard today. It is a nice, sunny-ish, mid-60s afternoon after a few days of dreariness. And unfortunately, I think we have some more freezing temperatures on the way. After uh, last week, we had an almost 80 degree day. I'm not very thrilled and the plants aren't going to be either. Already after some of the freezes in January and these warm days after, plants are already trying to get ready for spring, regrowing, and some deep freeze and potential snow flurries on Friday just does not sound appealing to me. Um, yeah, I wanted that snow that we had back in January that missed us. It <laughs> blanketed a lot, large portion of uh, the state, but I don't want it anymore. I'm good. I'm ready to move on. I'm also coming to you with presumably COVID and <laughs> my son tested positive the other day after just having kind of a runny nose with some congestion. Uh, so we took him to get tested and sure enough, it was positive. So we are on full quarantine uh, now for a few weeks or whatever is recommended these days by the CDC. And uh, my husband and I went and got our test today, but we are exhibiting a variety of different symptoms. And it's actually been kind of interesting to see how different I am versus my husband is. Um, I feel pretty good with some other just general issues. I felt well enough to try to come out here and get this done and recorded. So in case I feel worse later this week, I would have it out and ready for you guys on Thursday. And this is an episode I've been thinking about for a while. And I think many people can relate to this because we all have have plants that we used to love and enjoy and we don't have anymore. So this episode is called Plants I Wish I Still Had. And because a lot of our gardening was done in Florida, most of these plants are going to be tropical or subtropical plants that mm, I could probably try to grow here in zone 9a outside of Houston. But really with our our freezing temperatures and winter malarkey that goes on, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I thought I would start with an orchid that I absolutely loved. It came in a half coconut husk, which so many orchids down there in Florida that you can get from trading with other gardeners or buying it at nurseries are going to be, you know, sometimes they're mounted on, you know, a typical orchid hanging basket. Uh, but a lot of times they come in coconut husks and or coconut shells. And that's how this one was. It was a Brassavola uh, nodosa and it was an orchid and I loved it so much. It hung on the west side of our covered screened in porch there in our uh, Broward County house and we my husband had rigged up a watering system on that porch because we had amassed a collection of orchids and uh, ferns and bromeliads and just all sorts of other different tropical plants that you know needed that that moisture but uh, needed also a little bit of shade and we didn't have quite as much shade in that yard when we first moved there. We rented that house for about four years and there were chevalera tree in the back and hmm, I feel like there was a, some other bush in the back too maybe a cestrum and oh there was a bunch of brazilian pepper and we caught a lot of that brazilian pepper out and because it's an invasive uh, exotic there and so we took care of the yard like we owned the place but we didn't own it own it and we had a humongous container garden that expanded even more once we moved into that house because we had a backyard and so my husband you know rigged up all of that on the porch and we had this brassavola nodosa and i loved it it bloomed these beautiful white white almost if you're familiar with ghost orchids just kind of that 
that look it had that white dancing lady that look to it and I just loved it so much so I, I did a little bit of reading about it and that's kind of what this episode is gonna be me waxing poetic about plants that I used to love and just a little bit of tidbit of information about them so it was originally named uh, by someone named Robert Brown in the early 1800s and speaking of naming of commitments I really would like to get better about knowing some of these early botanists and explorers but also knowing some of the original names from where these plants came from what were they actually called by the locals and uh, just recently I learned what the real name was of marigolds and uh, so I'd like to switch into learning what those are actually called um, and chrysanthemums and just a whole list of different things learning actually their real names. So the Brassavolas are, you know, pretty popular. They got a lot of showy specimens in the genus and they have been hybridized like crazy. (laughs) And it was named in honor of an Italian botanist named Antonio Musa Brassavola. And I read a little bit more about him. He was an Italian physician born in the 1500 and he was considered like a medical man, uh, serving as like a physician for some kings in France and the Holy Roman Emperor and some popes. And so I guess he also uh, piddled around in botany on the side because a lot of those folks back in that time period, you know, if you're studying medicine, you're also probably curious about the natural world and doing a lot of different studies in that uh, aspect as well. So the Brassifolla orchids, they're gonna like you know warm temperatures they 75 to 80 degrees with uh you know a little bit of a temperature drop at night but not too much and they like medium to high light and uh, you need more light than the phalaenopsis which was good we had them on that west side so they get a lot of good afternoon sun and it just worked out perfectly well i i loved them and yeah these were pretty much tied in and so they were just growing like epiphytically on that coconut shell but when it was blooming it was one of those plants that I would stop uh, on the porch our door was right there the screen door out to go out to the backyard and I would just stop and pause and just stare at it especially in the evening light it was just one of those beautiful plants and like so many of the things that we had in Florida we sold it before we left the state because we just didn't have the room to store them while we were uh, hiking on the Appalachian Trail and also our family lived in like zone 8a <laughs> which was really not conducive for for those plants so another plant that I absolutely loved was Passiflora edulis now I have Passiflora incense growing here in my garden in Texas and if I had known how invasive and runnery it gets, I would not have grown it. And it, actually, I rescued it. It was a rescue, a cheap sale rescue from a local nursery. And now that thing comes up everywhere. <laughs> it's still great. It hosts the Gulf Fritillary caterpillars. But if I could go back and do things over, I would get myself a Passiflora edulis again or do a native uh, Passiflora incarnata and grow that. So on our back fence at that same house, we had Passiflora edulis, and it's a tropical and subtropical uh, fruit. It's pretty seedy. If you've ever seen it at the grocery store, um, you can eat the seeds and put it in yogurt. It is very tasty. And that's exactly actually where <laughs> I started my plant from, was from a passion fruit that either we got at a farmer's market somewhere down in the Redland area of Miami, or I got it at the grocery store. I can't remember. And I was just, you know... If I had seeds back then, I'd just grow them. Like, whatever I saw, whatever I found, anything, anywhere, I could try to 
plant it and see if I could grow it. And that's just basically how I grew things. And I still do that to some point, but at some, at some point here that we don't have, um, well, we have the deer problem, but also I just can't grow everything and fit with our aesthetic here. But this passion fruit plant, it covered the whole back fence. It was a host plant for the Gulf Fritillary, but also the zebra longwing, which is you know, more seen in Florida. I think it's also seen in South Texas and New Mexico and the Caribbean. And I, I love that plant. I loved getting the fruit. It was super easy to pollinate. We would just go hand pollinate it ourselves. And then we had like tons of passion fruit to eat. And so around 1700, the name was given by missionaries in Brazil as, of course, back then so many things were tied back into Christianity uh, because there was a huge you know, push for missionaries conquering the new world and that sort of thing. So it was used as a teaching mechanism and it was used to illustrate like the crucifixion of Christ as the flower of the five wounds. And I think I think some people are probably pretty familiar with that aspect of uh, the plant and how it came to be called Passiflora. So it is winter hardy in zones 10 through 12. I would think it would probably handle a freeze here and come back from the roots and dine. I have not been able to establish it here. I think the incense outcompetes it. I have grown a couple from seed. It is just never established. So either it's not coming back or it's being outcompeted and which is a really big shame because I would love some passion fruit to eat. So that's my second favorite plant that I wish I still had and maybe one day I will actually be able to manage to get it established here and see uh, if we can get some passion fruit in the garden. Okay my absolutely favorite plant <laughs> that I grew that I really really miss that I wish I still had that I know I could never have here is Yilingling and it is a tree from tropical Asia and it is from the custard apple family. And in South Florida, I happened to find a seed uh, at a botanic garden and pilfered it because it was on the ground. <laughs> Took it home and started growing it. And honestly, I think that was one of the things that made the label went missing. And for like a good year or two, I didn't know what it was because it just grew really tall. And then finally when it flowered, I was like, oh, that's what you were. And this thing got huge. I had to, it really needed to be in the ground. And I think at the time we didn't know where we were going to settle, if we were going to stay in South Florida. And we've just, we kept it in a humongous pot and watered it and it got as tall as the house and taller and, you know, loved that thing to death. And it is one of the things I am most proud of ever growing. And I, I, I deeply miss that plant. We ended up selling it for far less than I wanted to because we had listed it on Craigslist when we were trying to sell plants. And unfortunately, someone just kind of came around and kept bugging us about it. And Chris ended up like getting his arm twisted and selling it for whatever they agreed to. But I think we had it listed for 100 or 150 because this thing was huge. And I grew it from seed. It was, it was kind of like precious to me. <laughs> and... Yeah, I miss that plant. But ylang ylang, you see it a lot of times in essential oils. It's a very common thing to see in essential oils. It has that kind of earthy floral scent. And obviously it's a tree, so it's going to want full sun. And it needs to be planted in at least zone 10A. And 10B would be even better. Um, we didn't really have any problems. We were in... when. We lived in Broward County, that was 10A, and now it's changed to 10B, but we didn't really have any problems with that plant uh, in any freezes. The only plant I ever had a problem with, we got dipped down into like the low 40s once, and we lost a starfruit, and that was a little sapling 
sar fruit and it did not like it. I forgot about it. I meant to bring it onto the porch that night and I forgot. And the next morning it said, no, thank you. 42 was, was not good. So the yingling did just fine for me. Now, I guess there is a dwarf variety that only gets about six feet tall, but again, I, I'm not going to grow that here because I don't want to shuffle things in and out of, of our containers. Uh, like we have plenty that we already shuffle in and out and moving another tree like that would be just a pain. But if you grow in 10A or 10B, somewhere tropical, somewhere that can handle that, a yellingling tree would be amazing. I loved it. I miss it so much. And if you want to just, if you want to go see one, I believe Fairchild Botanic Garden has one or a couple. I think the Redland Fruit and Spice Park has a couple. I'm sure the Naples Botanic Garden has some. That's what I can think of in Florida. I don't know if California, like LA, San Diego would be enough of a good climate for that or even maybe some area parts of Arizona Arizona may be too dry but if you ever get a chance to see one I think they're gonna knock your socks off like they did for me okay yet another tropical plant that I wish we still had it's called chalice vine salandra grandiflora there's also I think a salandra maxima or max something like that <laughs> they're very very similar and they're called cup of gold and they have these beautiful humongous gold flowered uh, gold flowers <laughs> that look like a cup, like a chalice. And they are from the Caribbean, Mexico, and South America. And we, we grew ours either from cuttings. I can't remember if they grew from cuttings or what, but we had the one plant that we had, we ended up putting on the front yard, front side yard. And actually kind of struggled there for a while because we weren't particularly great about watering it, but eventually it sent out enough roots to reach uh, the groundwater. And within like a year, that thing had grown up over the fence and was, it was just doing magnificently and blooming on its own and doing fantastic. And it is one of those really cool plants that I really still miss. So it looks like it is, was used as um, a hallucinogen by some native peoples in Mexico and a tea from the branches uh, and roots can make an inebriant. Now, I'm obviously not telling you to do any of this. Please don't. I'm <laughs> don't suggest it. So it's a kind of a thick stem tropical vining plant with large shiny leaves and then just that large bell of uh, golden yellow flowers. It can get, it does, it gets thick and woody on the lower branches, but once it starts going, it can run for, you know, 30 or 40 feet and then it can sand out aerial roots, which makes it easy for you to start cuttings and share with your garden friends, which is basically how I got so many of my plants because of the wonderful garden web forums back in the 2000s where we had excellent uh, gardening get-togethers. I really miss those so much. So again, this is a plant for zones 10 or 11, anywhere tropical, anywhere you can protect from freezes. Again, maybe you've got a greenhouse or you've got somewhere that you can bring it in during the winter. Maybe it's something you want to check out. Okay, my final favorite plant I wish we still had was called Miracle Fruit and it is called uh, Sinusapalum dulcificum. Dulcificum. Yes, let's call it Dulcificum. <laughs> also called Miracle Berry. And it's an evergreen little shrub in the Sapotaceae family. So if you're familiar with Mammy Sapote, uh, this plant is in that same family. So what's cool about this is just like it says, it's a miracle fruit. It takes sour foods and makes them sweet. And we actually first encountered this at the uh, Redland Fruit and Spice Park in Southwest uh, Miami-Dade County. 
and they have all sorts of cool tropical fruits you can try usually on display or they will give you on the tour they will say if there's something on the ground that's edible you're welcome to try it they don't want you picking anything directly off the plants usually no i haven't been there in a decade but I do believe that's still the case, but I would check that out if you happen to be in Miami and want to go down to the Fruit and Spice Park. It's a really cool place. You get to just try a bunch of different things that you're not going to see in most food stores. Maybe in a particular cultural store you might come across it, but maybe not even so. Some of the stuff is pretty uh, unique and niche specific. So yes, as, as I said, you eat a lemon, and it tastes sour but then you eat a miracle fruit suck on it for a minute taste that lemon again it tastes like you just had like sugary sugary lemonade it doesn't taste sour at all and i believe we started our first plant from maybe a seed that we had tried at the fruit and spice park or we kept it and took it home and germinated it and i think that is how we started it but then we ended up getting my husband actually bought a plant when we moved here because we thought well, we'll just keep it in a pod. It's a small shrub. It's something that we could contain. And unfortunately, it doesn't really like to be dried out in the winter. And we just, um, like, we have a couple plants that can handle dormancy, like plumeria and baobabs. They, they like that winter dryness. So it's okay that we're shoving them off in our, our garage to for the winter to overwinter. And, but this, this just really couldn't take, like, you know, a week away without some humidity and some water and a it survived a few years eventually it just it didn't make it so we tried to grow it I think if we had a greenhouse it would make it through our winters and a little bit of neglect but it's just not working but in Florida we had it we loved it when it bloomed we loved it when it fruited because then if we had any citrus which is pretty easy to come by in South Florida as well it was really fun to just have some miracle fruit suck on a lemon and just pretend you're having a fun dessert now the flavor altering mechanism for the miracle fruit is from a glycoprotein called miraculin which i guess was discovered or isolated by a japanese researcher called kinzo kurihara in 1968 so i guess it's not that the miraculin is actually sweet it just binds to receptors on your taste buds and causes just acidic foods to be perceived as sweet so and you know and it doesn't last very long a couple like a half an hour to a couple hours just depending on I guess how much miracle fruit you're sucking on and you know after a while that sourness comes back and of course you know there's been people trying to commercialize this turn it into like a low calorie or non-caloric sweetener and you know all sorts of things like that because it is kind of cool so those are my favorite plants I wish we still had. Actually, there's plenty more plants I wish we still had. I didn't even talk to you about all the vanilla orchids. <laughs> Some of the amazing ferns. Just the variety of brugmansias we had. Um, this cotton plant I loved. I could go on and on and on. Oh, a Vanda, a Vanda orchid. that My first Vanda orchid that I got and subsequently killed. <sighs> There were so many wonderful plants, but I know everybody can relate to this. It doesn't have to be a tropical plant. It could just be an heirloom plant that somebody passed down to you. It could be your garden that you had to move away from anything. We all have plants that we love and wish we could still grow or we wish we had a particular cutting of, and we just don't because for whatever reason. And it's just nice to look back in memories and hopefully some of us have pictures, uh, you know, obviously some 
if you grew something in the 1980s, you might not have that plant, that photo anymore, but it's nice to remember what we could grow and what we did grow and to go down that memory lane sometimes. I was trying to think here if there's anything, if I've had to leave this yard, if there's anything that in particular I would miss, and I'm sure there is. I think I'd miss our fig tree. It's pretty spectacular. We made, we've made it grow really well. I don't always get figs off of it because the birds and the squirrels get them before I do, but it's a pretty cool plant to have. I would definitely miss some of the trees we've planted. We've planted a longleaf pine and some swamp chestnut oaks and a few other plants that, that would hold some memories, but you gotta move on sometimes. But hopefully I'm not moving on from this, this place for a long time. And then I can plant some more plants that I will fall in love with and maybe wax poetic about when I'm not able to garden one day. Okay, that's it for this episode. I'm going to put some photos on the show notes so you can see some of these plants for yourself. I actually have some cool photos of the passion fruit harvest. I've got my arms full of the passion fruit. It's really kind of fun. And I don't, I think I have got some of the shallow vine photos. And I'll put links to where if you're like, I really need to buy this plant. I will see if I can find anywhere online that sells them and you can, you can go for it yourself. All right. Well, I am going to sign off and I hope everyone is doing well and is COVID free, unlike me. <laughs> and you can find the show notes for the episode at thegardenpathpodcast.com. I am on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. And I am sometimes on Facebook. You can look for me there too. All right. Until next time. Happy gardening.